Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Charles Suwa Singh here with us today, who is a first-generation Canadian. His family immigrated from Guyana in the late 60s. He's of Indian, Chinese, European, and African ancestry. Professionally, Charles is an ICF certified leadership and whole life coach. He's been coaching for nearly eight years. He's the co-founder of Way, a boutique coaching company with a focus on bringing consciousness to leadership, organizations, and relationships. He's also the faculty member with Coactive, a global leadership training and coaching certification organization. He's certified in Amago, is that how you say that, Charles? Amago? Amago. Amago, Amago. Relationship, Amago relationship facilitation and is educated in neurolinguistic programming, emotional intelligence, conscious leadership, and positive intelligence. In the last year, his work has taken him to speaking and coaching on anti-racism, diversity, and inclusion. Charles is married to his partner in life and business, Donna, a father of two teenagers, a lover of music, cooking, travel books, and golf. Charles, welcome, and thank you so very much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. So I know I told you I was going to ask you one question, but I have to ask the first question that's really on my mind. What is your favorite thing to cook? Oh my! Oh, right now it's it's right now it's barbecue. Oh, <laughs> I love. I've got I've, I've got a ceramic cooker outside, and I could slow and slow cooking smoking meats. That's my latest passion. What do you think of the smoking the smoking meats? Because I have some friends who started doing it, and they're they swear by it. It's like their new fast. Really? Oh man, it's it's too good. But it, but it's also the care you take. It's the, it's also the care you take in cooking, right? So you can't do it carelessly. It'll, it'll ruin it, everything. So it's time. It's slow. It's patient. It's mindful. And the food at the end of it is just like stellar. Hmm. <laughs> do you, Charles? Do you find that cooking? I, for me, it's I feel like it's always been this. It's a very meditative process. I feel like there's something just, especially when you're really present to the process of preparing it. And there's something about being out with the the barbecue, the fire and and cooking it outdoors. And well, well, there's so much to it. It's the, yes. Of course, outdoors, you gotta be in the backyard doing this, but it's also, it's also the preparation. Like you gotta think about the point. You gotta think about how you're going to do it before you do it or else, you know, you're, you'll ruin it and it's just it's about timing it's about managing heat it's not just it's yes it has to do with the meat and the flavor you want but there's also all these variables at play here then there's the anticipation right like it's the, it's the anticipation yeah. what's going to look like yeah. what's it going to taste like will it fit with the, everything else i want to make around it and of course you know like if you're smoking good meat you're not smoking like a couple of strips of bacon you're talking about like like family portion size of meat if you're yeah. going to invest any time doing this so you're inviting people over to enjoy it yeah right so you're serving your family serving your friends it's a communal experience um so it's a whole it's a whole it's, yeah it's, you can get really caught up in it i find it very rewarding um and i love it yeah it's just yeah having my family over having my friends over to enjoy say a smoked brisket it's like you know, it's just, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It is. It's really something, something yeah, special. Now I got me hungry. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Like, I just I'm totally, totally had a barbecue fantasy right there while you were talking. I know. I'm salivating. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just, 
uh, you know, we were talking offline, Charles, and we I've been really fortunate to have a couple of incredible conversations with you the last few months. And there's <clears throat> there's so much different stuff going on in the world right now. And I'm curious, where is your heart being most drawn and pulled towards in terms of of what you're doing personally, professionally from a place of service? And is that something that has been affected more so by everything that's going on right now? Um, yes, I'll answer the last question first. Yes, very much so. And where I'm, where um, I'm more conscious of in my work and in my relationships with my family and friends, you know, was is talking about what is race and what it is to be racist, what it is to be anti-racist. Um, what are the the um, language we're using to describe racism? The problem it is. Um, the ongoing debates whether it's real or not real, whether we can support it with data or not. Um, is it an experience? Is it something measurable? Is it qual like all of these things are in my space right now? Um, where I'm being drawn into or called into or conversations, not particularly with with black people or people of color trying to understand. It's more with white people. You know, there's there's there is a there is a, and I won't say on mass because I can't measure the mass of this, but there are people who actually truly deeply want to understand this. You know, I think there's a you know with all the maybe conscious work that we've been doing, all the mindfulness work we've been doing. Now this is coming into their space, and they're just like, well, okay, is this a real thing? Right, and I think many people are awakening to the idea that it is possible that racism does exist, hmm. um, but they just don't know what it looks like they, because they never had to experience it before. But what they see on TV. So um, I've been encouraged and invited to and called into a number of conversations around educating people around what it looks like and what the ex what it is to experience racism um and the challenge is even just talking about it yeah that's really my space right now and even having the conversation with my kids and my family and stuff like that um clearly you know i'm i'm a person of color you know so this is not new to me um i've experienced some kind of discrimination everywhere in my life um, whether it be at school and work amongst my peers friends wherever i am in my neighborhood um, experiences some kind of racial tension. Um, so to have this conversation with my kids, my, my children are, um, I'm much darker skinned than my kids. My kids are much fairer skinned. They're almost white appearing. Um, but they've been conflicted by their social identity as well, like how people mm. perceive them and what their experience of family and culture and ancestry is. Um, but to have these conversations with them has been so rich um, in understanding and unpacking and learning um, and, and moving and inspiring is all those things. I was going to ask about the conversations with your kids and the richness of it. Has it changed with everything that's been going on? Has it changed? I don't know if it's, it's the way in which you connect with your kids or maybe at the depth you connect with your kids? I'm not sure which would be the right way to ask that question, but 
have you noticed like a difference in that and and or maybe maybe even what they're bringing to the table at being at an age where they're able to be aware of what's going on i think good question um you know i've always tried to encourage meaningful conversations with my kids um and especially uh you know yes we can have fun we can laugh we can sing we can joke around and whatnot i enjoy those times too um, but what this conversation has has is that there is a bit more intimacy in understanding each other hmm. right um you know they're they're well my daughter's 20 now um and what it what having this conversation with her now is just open up some more intimacy between her and i and that you know you know as kids we have a perception of our parents but we don't have a full meta view of our parents right until we have more adult conversations with them so that's what's showing up right now, right? And she can see that I've, you know, I've had different challenges growing up than she did, hmm. right? And now she's seeing it in contrast or in comparison to what other people are going through. Um, she can see some similarities in what she experienced as a mixed race child growing up in the education here in Toronto. Like, so it's, it's just deepening things that were always there, right? Adding new dimensions for the conversation, which have been really rich. To be honest with you, it's been really rich. How do you, Charles, how do you create that space to have those conversations with your kids? And the, I asked that question because I feel like, I feel like it's something parents in general struggle with is being right. able to create a space to even have, you know, the, the talk, we'll say, the talk with their kids. And, the other talk. Yeah, the other talk. The talk. Yeah. So, I, you know, as an example, and, I, and what I've really observed from talking with a lot of, of people who are parents the last several months is there's a, there's a genuine desire for them to have these kinds of conversations in the sense of they want to enter into, but they're unsure of how to do it. But they're also wanting to interact with their children in a way they haven't, but they feel they're not sure how to set that space or they feel, you know, unqualified to do it or un in because they're dealing with their own their own God, what's the word? Their own feel perception, perceived lack of understanding or ability to have uncomfortable conversations. So, how are you? How are you creating that space? Because I'm wondering if there might be like a framework that we can identify that parents could take away from this to start to to integrate. Well, I, their... well, I think where you, you I think where you're, the answer is kind of in your question, right? That many parents feel kind of a lack of you know, confidence, a lack of knowledge, a lack of something in which they can have a conversation with the kids, right? So look at, I've had real life, real lived experiences with, with my ethnicity, with my color in real life. So I know what it is to be me. And I'm talking from that place, right? Um, I know my culture, right? I know where my family's from. I've done that homework over my over my lifetime to have, be grounded in who I am and where I, what I've experienced and what got me here. So I'm, I'm talking from that place, 
right? So I think, it, and I'm not saying that like, you, well, you know, I say that and I'm not expecting every parent to know all their history all of a sudden, right? If you haven't done that kind of work, then talk from that place that you haven't done that kind of work before. Talk from a place that you know, and even talking from a place of what you don't know, right? So if you haven't done the, if you haven't done the homework on your ancestry, if you haven't done the homework on understanding your culture and where your people are from, then do that with your children. You know, come to the fact that you haven't done that work and do it with your kids. Experience it together. You know, like, you know, I, I celebrate my culture with my children every chance I get. So it's not a surprise to them, you know, what I celebrate about my ancestry, my ethnicity, and my culture. It's not a surprise to them because I make sure to celebrate it every chance I get, right? And whether it's over the holidays, whether it's caravana, whether it's wherever it is, a concert or something like that, I make sure to celebrate my, my ancestry, my culture, my ethnicity with my kids. So I'm coming from that place of knowing myself. Um, and what I encourage people that, okay, if, if you don't know that depth, if you're not confident in the knowing of, your, of where you're from and who you are, then start there with your children. And maybe there's an opportunity with your, you and your kids to discover it together, right? I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of need by parents to be the people who are in the know, expert, you know, you know, advisors must be smarter than your kids. But you know what the thing is for me, even me sharing my story with my kids, I recognizing the things I even don't know. Like, I don't know what it is to be my children. I don't know what they're experiencing, right? So I'm, it's not like I come with so much knowledge I can have all the answers. I'm gonna just open up conversations with them, right? I don't know what it is to be a 20 year old at this time, right? And a 20 year old who's mixed race that the world sees her as white, right? Because her skin is fair, right? I don't know what that is. So the conversation is inviting that knowledge in, is inviting that experience in. And that's been the rich part. It's not a matter of what I can teach my kids, it's what we can teach each other, right? What we can learn from each other. I love that distinction. I feel like parents, people in general, we put such a pressure on ourselves that we should and have to know the answers. And it's like this, it's almost like we perceive it as a failure or a fault of ours if we don't but versus giving ourselves the permission to just to, to be an experience and have a, a teachable with one another and to be able to acknowledge that we may not have this answer, but let's find it together or create it together. Maybe. You know, this, this, this speaks to a very, like this speaks to um, I think some of the trouble that I see in parenthood right now. There is way too much expectation for them to have it figured out. And there's way too much information about parenting and not enough leaning into our own intelligence, not enough leaning into our own intuition, not enough leaning into our past, like into our, you know, our grandparents and our own parents into understanding parenthood. Um, and then dealing with work, then dealing with the education system and then dealing with all the extracurricular activities to educate. And like, there's so much pressure put on parents. It's become more of a performance than it is an experience, right? 
like learning to be with your kids versus rushing them from one activity to another, right? That is so hard. I'm, my experience has been, it's, it's getting increasingly harder just to be with children, with our own mm-hmm. kids now than ever before. So I think it's, it's, it's it, yeah, it's a, it's a really troubling time when you can't just be with your children. Do you feel that 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 struggle to be with their children is it is it a is it a societal thing is it an is it a a, a perceptional thing of that like we think that to be a good parent we have to do five activities four after school things is it a is it a is it a, a distraction thing that there's so many things that, uh, you know, Oh, we have our cell phones right now where we can get the latest and everything instantly right away. It, I, Cause I observe it. And I never considered this from a parent's perspective, but hearing you talk, like my brain is going, it's asking these questions of if I was a parent and had children, because just in observing with friends, sometimes I notice how difficult it is for friends to be in the moment. And it seems to be harder and harder and harder for them to be in the moment, to be disconnected from their device or to be disconnected from what some reality star or public figure or someone said. But what's fascinating then is in that challenge for them to disconnect from that and be present. What I've also observed is if the dynamic shifts and someone goes and pulls out their phone and starts to interact with it at a time when they want to try to connect, talk, communicate, whatever. It's very, very difficult for them. And it's almost like they're taking it as this rejection. Like they were, that was their moment where they were trying to be vulnerable and present. And, you know, here I am and, oh, you don't want to have anything to do with me. So let me go back here. I think there was a question in there somewhere, but I ended up just going on the side. Oh, but I love where you're going, though. Yeah. I love where you're going. I look at my, and I'm going to just speak from my observation of this. Having grown up with two kids, been through the whole, you know, you know, uh, path of, you know, got to feed them with all this stuff so they can feel inspired and find themselves in activities, you know, doing all the best you can in the education system and, you know, trying to expose them to, you know, opportunities in which they can, you know, discover new things about themselves and new friends and everything like that. And then dealing with the pressure of work and making it financing all of that. Man, it is stressful to be parents now. It's like, it's like, it's, it's like, it's like we're always performing as some socialized expectation of what parenthood is mm. and missing the mark completely what our kids really need right um the idea when my you know you know the idea of kids at 12 to 11 years old with cell phones it did it, it, it's mind-boggling and look at i i i experienced that with my own two right the pressure that they felt they needed to have cell phones right i didn't have a phone till i was in my 30s i think i did pretty good <laughs> <laughs> But nowadays, it's, it's like a, it's a it's a necessity. Yeah. Once you hit double digits to have a phone, and that there goes all the communication right there. 
that you're training them not to be able to stay in conversation with you, right? For the sake of a device, which is kind of paradoxical to have conversations with. If we replace the channel of communication. Like we were just talking about it offline. Like, like I can't reach my kids unless I've either FaceTime them or Facebook them or what, like, you know what I mean? Like it's crazy, right? Instead of just like, hey, what's going on? Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but, but I think there is, there's, there's, there's these opposing forces in, in family right now. You know, one trying to keep it together, right? Mother, father, or whatever the dyna gender dynamics are for you. Um, but then there is this kind of um, uh, lack of reverence for the larger family structure grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, or whatnot. Like, we feel like we can do this by ourselves, right? Um, that kind of thing. But then keeping it together, next thing you know, I got to be, they can't keep it together. So you have these single family dynamics now. Now the family unit is getting smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And that there's, and not there's less pressure, there's more pressure now, right? And that's what our kids are going through is this, right? Um, and it's, it, I, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's, it's stressful. It's unforgiving. There's really little room for error, but even then, you know, we're not certain that how, what, you know, these children are ready for when they're getting to their age, when they're going to be considering careers and, and family and mortgages and all that other stuff. I'm not so certain that they've got it all figured out or they're ready for it. Um, and I think a lot of that, you know, I reflect back a lot of that born. It's like, well, I want my kids to have it better than I do. Hmm. But what does better look like? Right. And I don't know if we're clear what better looks like. Um, because right now, what I see right now, I'm not sure if the way my, what my children experience in growing up is not better than what I experienced. You know, I loved my childhood. I wouldn't trade it for what I'm seeing now at all. Um, so I'm not certain that I gave them better than what I had. And that's a hard thing to admit, but that's, I think that's a reality here. God, that's so fascinating. I, I have had no fewer than probably 10, 12 conversations this year with different groups talking about the challenge, one of the biggest challenges is for so long in the United States, the, the ethos of the American generation uh, was to work hard, sacrifice so your children could have it better than you. And then it was, it was, it, it seemed like better became a, a more convenience. It is like an, a convenience of access to things of, you know, even like going to the video store and having to rent the movie and stand there for 15 minutes to make a decision about what that was going to be versus now we can make a 10 second, 10 second judgment. And if we don't like it, there's 5,000 other things that the logarithm is going to figure out what's going to be most likely that we'll watch. And it is, it's like, gosh, is it better, really better? Or has better just been more convenience? Because in so doing, there's, it's, there's a sacrifice of connection. It, it, like you said, like the idea, we were talking, the, 
the notion of this device that's supposed to be for communication has asked, ha, and connection has actually caused maybe a rift and more of a disconnect with it because of that. And, and have we, has better become, it's kind of like, you know, we've, we've commodity or commercialized happiness in okay, a way, yeah. right? Like happiness yeah. is, Hey, here's my list. And once yeah. I have this, 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 and this, and I'm happy. And then, you know, we know that a, a bird will shit on a brand new car just as easy as it'll use. <laughs> I <laughs> love that metaphor. <laughs> right? Right? But it's like, it's like, it's, it's, we're putting that, not only that stock of, and happiness, but that, that stock in our worth as individuals, as human beings, in this assertion of stuff and things and status. And yeah, like, is that really better? No, I, no, I, I'm not sold that it is. Yeah, I'm not either. sold that it is. Look at you know, this. There's this consumerism machine that's going on right now behind all of this, and it's and it's and it's the same machine that runs all the social dissonance that we also have, right? Whether it's whether it's racism, sexism, you know, bigotry, whatever it is, right? It's the same mechanics. In my view, it's the same mechanics. You know, there's a few people at the top telling you how it is, telling you what you must buy into, right? And then it's all for us to follow, right? Hmm. And consumerism is 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 not just a, a, a principle or a philosophy or an approach. It's a mindset. It's a religion. It's a culture, right? That has us constantly consuming, needing, wanting. Um, stuff to somehow make us feel sane, make us feel comfortable, make us feel validated and understood. Like our ego is there, and we're 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 socialized to believe that that's true, right? That if I buy this one thing, finally I'll have purpose in my life. Yeah. If I buy this other thing, finally I'll, I'll be more of X, Y, Z, right? And then two or three months later or when the warranty wears off or the thing that you're enamored breaks down or the next, you know, 2.0, 3.0, whatever version comes up next, you know, it's gone and now you're seeking the next thing, right? It's, it's in itself is an addiction, right? It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's a constant seeking for whatever it is that you're missing in your life. Right, um, and this phenomenon is new. This is not a this is not a you know centuries and centuries old thing. We're talking about something that just you know came into our. We created this thing, with maybe in the last hundred years. This is not a this is not a genetic thing. This is not what it is to be human. Somebody thought of designing it this way. And we're so caught in, we can't see one from, we can't see the end of it. We can't see this, where it begins and where it ends, right? Um, and that's to me is the troubling part. I, I want to shift gears, Charles, before we run mm. out of time, just looking at the clock. Yeah. I, I feel like this, this is a this is a rabbit hole I so desperately want to jump into, <laughs> and then as soon as I jump into it, I'm going to horribly violate the 
the time promise I made to you and everybody else. I, I'm wondering, going back to just saying like you had been called with the having these conversations with folks around racism, discrimination, and that one of the biggest challenges is for people has been just to enter into the conversation. What what is what is coming up for them in those moments that has been the the resistance they're facing of entering into that conversation? What's been the resistance for them entering in the conversation? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of things that come to the surface. One is being called out as racist. Hmm. That's one of the biggest fears in the groups that I talk to is, is the worry that I will, I particularly will call them out as being racist. Oh, you actually coming from me? Wow. Like when they have conversations with me. Okay. That I'll point them out as a, no, you're, you're being, you're racist. Um, I think generally speaking, I think that is a fear amongst white people is, is being called out as racist. Um, so I'm also, I particularly in my, in my, when I'm in conversation with people, I don't use that word just, you know, casually. Um, I think we've been, you know, I think culturally people in this part of the world have been socialized into a framework that has racial tendencies in it, racial biases baked into it. So it'd be hard for me to call out anybody as being overtly racist, unless you are doing things that are clearly overtly racist, right? I mean, like, you know, hate speech, violent acts towards people of color, you know, you know, in, 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 with the intention to oppress people, clear intention to oppress people. What I experience right now is more people are not aware of how they oppress people because they've been mm. socialized in a particular way. So what the other part of it, so part of it is them being called out as being racist. The other part of it is incredibly uncomfortable being in a space of not knowing, right? We're, we are a culture of needing to be certain about everything, right? We need to have not only have the answers, we need to have the approach to fix it right if we can't throw if we can't solve it we can throw money at it and have somebody else solve it for us like all of this fix it mindset is here right but how can you fix something that you don't know how can you fix something that you have never seen before right how can you fix something that you're so terrified that you're actually the one who's perpetrating the crime but you're not even aware that you're doing it like so it's, it's being called out as racist, but it's also the fear of not knowing what you don't know. Hmm. Right, if I could sum it up as that. Um, so when I, have my, when I have my talks with people, it's about, it's about just bringing them more aware. Like they're aware now there's a problem. Now is to deepen the awareness to where the problems exist. Right, and it's not enough that doesn't say it doesn't exist. It's like, no, here is where it shows up. And often the case is in our language, how we describe a problem, the stories we have around people, the labels we use, the, like the little slurs and the, and the little off the cuff remarks we think is humor, but it's actually offensive. You know, it's all in the nuances and how we use language, right? Um, so it, it, it's terrifying to people now when they're learning that this is a part of their experience 
that they're terrified of hurting people now, right? They're very conscious of that. So uh, yeah, I think that's that's what I'm observing now. So one is being called out, and the other thing is not knowing what they don't know, hmm. right? And now coming to realization that yeah, racism is a, is is a thing that needs to be addressed. It's scary. Charles, before I ask my last question, mm-hmm. where can people find you online, connect with you? Well, uh, you can see me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Facebook. Um, you can check my website at agentsofway.com, agentsofway.com, and I'm there. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Charles, so for somebody who's watching and listening to this right now and who's wanting to enter in and engage into a dialogue that allows them allows them to begin to i don't know if self-examine themselves is the right thing but it allows them to enter into and engage in a dialogue that they feel called they feel like they should enter and engage into but they're up against those fears that you just articulated what is what is the best way for them to do it like what is the what is the step like i I want i would love for someone who's listening watching right now who's being called feeling like they're called to it who who's resonating with like what you just said saying yeah that's it i i don't know you know i don't know i'm not sure how to fix it i'm afraid of being called a racist how what is that step that they could take to then enter into that enter into that in a way where they could begin that process for themselves well, one thing I've encouraged some people to do is find find people like your, yourself that you feel you can have this dialogue with. So I've encouraged people to have this create like study groups hmm. or talking circles, um, you know, and and make it explicit that the agenda is whether it's anti-racism, whether it's whatever the topic is. But co-create a space with people that of, of like mind that you can feel that you can have these conversations safely, willingness to get messy and dirty in it, willingness to be um, vulnerable, um, and not fear of being ridiculed or pointed out or judged. You need to create that, that space of you know that's grounded and safe. Whether you find yourself um, a master facilitator to help you with that or coach that has knowledge about this, like myself, who can help co-create a space for you. That could always be done. Um, but this stuff doesn't work unless you're in conversation. Like doing the work, like you can read all the books you want, you watch all the videos you want, but the real learning comes in conversation. The real healing comes in conversation, right? So I think it's important to um, find people who are, are wondering about the same things as you and have some and create a safe space for that conversation to occur. And like, I, like I'm open to, like if you need a facilitator to help guide those conversations, absolutely. I'm, I got my hands up, reach me. I'll be happy to guide you through those. Um, if it's not myself, find somebody else with some experience in, hand, in, in holding space for others, whether it's a coach, whether it's somebody who's in, in the diversity inclusive space. Um, but I think it's essential to have those circles right? Where there's safety, there's openness, there's risk, there's no risk of being judged. 
There is just wanting vulnerability, authenticity, curiosity, wondering and learning um, for that to happen. And like I said, I've been, you know, recently I've been called to facilitate a lot of those circles recently. And that's been rewarding for myself and for others. Um, but I think, yeah, if you can find a space to talk about it, um, that will get much, as much closer to understanding what the problem is before we even get into, you know, thinking that we can fix it. Everyone, I am continually amazed about how much we can fit into just a short little bit of time. And this is a conversation that I think really exemplifies how incredibly broad of a human experience you can, you can cover in a short amount of time, yet still get into the essence of what truly matters. Rewatch, re-listen. We started with a journey about barbecue and smoking brisket, which <laughs> almost ruined the entire conversation because almost I think both of, you know, both of us went out to barbecue la-la land right there. <laughs> yeah, but I thankfully, we were able to reel it back in and, and we have an incredible discussion on parenting and the idea of, I love the separation between performing and parenting. I think that... Um, you know, not speaking as a parent, but speaking as someone who knows a lot of parents and has deep, intimate conversations with them. I think that will resonate so much with so many of you who are in that space of parenting right now, because, and now, especially at the time of this recording, it's July 21st, 2020, with all that's transpired in the world, and also with many of you having to have your kids at home doing homeschooling, there's like another hat that you're having to wear, another act that you're having to perform in a play that you didn't know you were going to have to perform in. The idea of being able to hold and enrich your conversations with your children about inviting the, the opportunity to explore and discover together versus telling and teaching and, and then feeling like that's a fault or a failure on your end if you don't know those things, but to be able to have that transparency with your children. God, I love that. What a beautiful notion that is. And to also the, the beautiful opportunity to hold space and realize that you, you don't know what it's like to be your child right now, right? And, and give yourself that permission to not have to, to teach or to parent them, but to explore the world through their eyes, to allow them to share and contribute meaningfully to you. The, the idea of two going through and looking at what's really better, you know, I think this is such a beautiful opportunity for us to explore in our own lives where we might find that we have struggling or there's, there's a sense of dysfunction or unease with us that we aren't quite finding the meaning or the happiness or the deeper levels of fulfillment that we seek is it because we've become so consumerized in our pursuit of those things that we look around our rooms and we see more stuff and less substance and if so invite that opportunity to explore what really is the substance that adds meaning to your life and then lastly to come full circle about the idea of I know that many of you have been feeling called to have conversations about issues of racism and discrimination, about some of the things that have been transpiring in the world. And for you, just much like me in many ways, you've been seeing it, you've been feeling it, you've been aware of it in ways that you haven't before. And you've been feeling that call, that nudge, that pull to enter into conversations and discussions you wouldn't have before. And I, I appreciate so much Charles giving us a, I think acknowledging those fears that many of us might felt of not knowing and being afraid of being called and labeled a racist, but also then how we can enter into that. And just as a side note, I've been fortunate enough to have several conversations with Charles now, as well as attend one of his virtual workshops. And I will say this, he is 
such an incredible resource. And if you've resonated at all with him, I, I highly encourage you to take him up on his offer to have him help facilitate those circles. I've been able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations, but also seen him facilitate in a group dynamic. And I was especially impressed with the group dynamic because he had questions coming from all different folks, different backgrounds, belief systems, walks <laughs> of life, you know, yes. levels of education, linguistic capabilities or lack thereof. And as an observer and also someone who is willing to ask questions, I can say that one of the things that was the most meaningful for that is there was not one time I never felt safe or less than or, or something bad or vile because of the questions I was asking. Instead, it was quite the opposite. I felt very loved. I felt very heard. I felt very safe and very understood. So I, I encourage you that if this is resonating with you, reach out to Charles and take him up on that opportunity to help him facilitate circles of discussion, whether it's in your own community, your company, and all the rest. Charles, as always, man, it's such a, it's such a blessing to sit with you and to chat with you. And mm -hmm. once all this quarantine stuff's over, I'm looking forward to barbecuing together at some point. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Absolutely. May it be so. May it be so. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, man. Absolutely. I really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to